0: All right, everybody, I just wanted to go ahead and jump ahead and give a potential trigger warning. In this episode, we do get on the subject of sexual abuse as it pertains to the episode. uh, And we wanted to do our due diligence and let you know that that is the case. It comes in about maybe three quarters of the way into the podcast. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know.
1: I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How are you doing, Trey? I'm all
0: right. Uh, been a bit of a long week, but uh, I'm happy to be here and discussing some more Daredevil. How about you?
1: Yeah, same same here. It's been a long week. Uh, summer school started this week. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. I have a little bit more leeway because it's the e-learning online. Um. In terms of what I do, uh, 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 it's been a long week. Uh, but but at the, <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, I I'm liking the opportunity to try to get creative with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just it's That's just cool. exhausting.
0: Oh yeah, I feel that man. It's it's uh, we're flirting with the ninety degree weather here where I'm at, and. Being in lawn service that just makes the days go by so much longer.
1: Well, I, I tell you what, I do. I've been keeping track of the photos you've been posting in the Discord. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Like you're, they're looking good. Looking good. Thank you. Yeah.
0: I actually, I'm gonna have to send you one uh, via text because I couldn't send it in our public Discord because it was too identifying location wise. Mm-hmm. But I took one. I was really happy of oh, today.
1: Nice. Send it to me. Send it to me.
0: I call. I call it get back to
1: work, trail. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, you know, go check out the Discord. Go check out some really cool photos.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: But anyway, uh,
0: if you don't know what we're doing, we have been doing a rewatch of Daredevil. Uh, this is something we've been doing in lieu of Black Widow's release, and it's been a lot of fun.
1: It is. It is.
0: So, so today we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Nelson vs. Murdoch. We open up on Matt regaining consciousness from the last episode. He's covered in stitches, and he tries to get up off the couch, but Foggy warns him not to. Uh, Foggy's clearly upset, and they begin to have a disagreement about how much Matt has been keeping from Foggy.
1: I was going to say, this is probably the shortest open we've had before opening credits.
0: I would say so, yeah. And and it almost felt like abrupt the way that it ended.
1: Yeah, which I, I think it fits the mood. You know, I mean, my mm-hmm. note. Matt awakes, he's beaten, Foggy's there, he's pissed. Um, it, as I watch this episode, and I'll think this through as we talk this out, I kept trying to imagine myself as Foggy and as Matt mm-hmm. and going through that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places where I, I feel like Matt, um, not Matt, Foggy, was justifiably angry. Mm-hmm. So. I, it, it totally makes sense now
0: to me why they kept alluding to Matt's vision all last episode mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I, I like I understand where the disagreement's coming from, but I feel like there was a piece missing to this argument. Like I wasn't 100% sold on this disagreement between them two. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it's because of this missing element or I don't know, some of the scenes that Fo- I mean some of the lines that Foggy delivered just weren't working for
1: me. What what missing element? Uh so
0: I felt like it leading up to this, I think we pointed out in a couple episodes leading up to this, we saw foggy take issue with the man in the black mask a lot yes but it never felt like that related to matt and obviously it couldn't because he didn't know the secret identity but i wish there would have been some step further with all the like hey buddy i called you yeah it never got heated it never got heated and i think so we go from like zero to 100 really quickly whereas if we would have seeded that a little bit i think that would have justified foggy's emotional outburst a little bit more okay like I, like, I totally get that, you know, if you feel like a friend's betrayed you, I just wish they would have serviced that a little bit more going into this.
1: Right. Well, we're episode, as you said, 10. In episode 9, it felt like they mentioned uh, a lot about Matt being blind or not answering his phone. And it was just kind of a passing thing, all the other episodes. Like, that could have been a more of a buildup. I think at the end mm-hmm. of the episode, we talked about, you know, hey, let's rewrite their script for him and. Opportunities where, in the grief of Miss Cardenas, um, they could have sparked a little bit more tension and argument there.
0: And it was totally built in with the way that Matt was kind of like throwing it in Foggy's face. And you pointed out, like, you know, Foggy should have pushed back a little bit against Matt. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, like you said, we could just offer to rewrite this script
1: for them. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm available. Um, it's summer. <laughs>
0: One thing I do want to point out, uh, regarding just the the detail of Matt's wounds. Whenever they he pulls the covers off, you can see like the right side of his arm is like blackened and burned mm-hmm. from his fight with Nobu. I thought that was a really nice touch that they yeah. they kept that.
1: Yeah. It it's they had him makeup wise bruised up really well.
0: Oh yeah. It was for a show that in episode three was it they had somebody impale them mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. they they still found a good job of making this feel repulsive even on a smaller scale oh, yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> also my my final note for this scene why do all of matt's friendly adversaries just help themselves to his beer <laughs>
1: You know what? I I don't think I picked that up, but I guess I guess that's the case. Um, and yeah. Apparently, you know, if we're to believe Stick, it's crappy beer. So <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> that's the most pettiest move anybody's ever done. <laughs> Purposely stocks bad beer for his friends. <laughs> oh man, that's probably intentional. After the opening credits, uh, we get our flash, our first flashback of this episode where Matt walks into the dorm room and meets Foggy for the first time.
0: So, again, uh, you know, I, I mentioned a lot how they brought attention to the fact that Matt couldn't see in the previous episode. And they, they did a really good job of answering that callback here because there's a scene where Foggy and Matt are meeting for the first time. And Matt reaches his hand out to go for a handshake and Foggy doesn't miss a beat. Now, if you remember in last episode, there was a similar situation where Matt went to go shake Ben's hand and Ben was kind of like uncomfortable and didn't Mm -hmm. immediately clasp the hand. Mm -hmm. I love that little detail because Matt specifically says something to the line of like, you know, usually people are dancing around me like I'm made of glass. You know, I appreciate that, you know, you're a lot more open with me. And I thought that was a great immediate way to kind of strengthen their friendship.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, um, because he he was up front. He's like, you're blind, right? Or or something of that effect. And he's like, oh, am I not supposed to say that? Um, And and then comes the line you just mentioned. I liked it because it really showed how well they hit off from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I did find it interesting that they were, and I know this, you know, this happens, but it was that Foggy knew him already when he said his name, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, you're that kid, you know?
0: I mean, they do. I mean, you know, I talked about not being 100% sold on the argument. In the present, everything that I did like about this episode definitely stems from them establishing how good of friends they were back in college. Mm-hmm. You know, it just just the the level of familiarity, like, yeah, you're that kid, and just kind of, I don't want to keep saying solidifying, I feel like I've said it a lot, but you know, they just feel like people that have always known each other even if they didn't hang out when they were younger mm-hmm. like it just feels like a perfect mm-hmm.
1: fit yeah it does and that's a tribute to how well they acted it i think that chemistry
0: mhm also foggy with long hair <laughs> and train playing in the background i don't think there's been a better way to establish the mid 2000s <laughs> <laughs> i didn't
1: i don't i i i liked the long hair i didn't catch that train was in the background
0: yeah i, I believe it was drops of jupiter <laughs> it was the song playing <laughs>
1: Hey, I liked it. I liked that song. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I listened to it, but I remember enjoying it. <laughs> I'll own up to that. After
0: the flashback, uh, we do jump back to the present where Foggy continues questioning Matt's ability to see. Uh, Foggy obviously feels betrayed by Matt and accuses him of lying all these years. Um, and then it gets to the point where Foggy questions whether or not Matt did all the things the black the man in the black mask was accused of.
1: Yeah, I liked they did a... Um, Basically, they did an action cut. Foggy gets up from that last scene, and they cut back to Foggy sitting in um, on a chair in Matt's uh, apartment and gets up. And then you kind of mm-hmm. match that action. I like the way they did that. Most Most of their flashbacks throughout the whole season has had a really good way, whether it be audio or action, to get us in and out. And I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, that's something that I I didn't pay attention to at first, but after you've been tracking them in previous episodes, like I've grown to appreciate the way they do it because it's it's not just like all right now we're in a flashback and here's the important information. They they find creative ways to tie them in together.
1: Yes, they did. They did. <laughs> they did tie them in together really well. Um, now I'm I'm just curious. I felt like and I don't know. Maybe it's me. Foggy wanted. A yes or no answer to a really what a complicated question, you know, because 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 clearly we come back and Matt has told him he's like yeah yeah I get it world on fire, uh but can you see yes or no, and Matt's like in a manner of speaking and Foggy's not having it. I don't know I I feel maybe because the show is Daredevil and we're following him all the way through, um and so we know how this works, but I'm just like Foggy you're asking a question or you want a simple answer to a really complicated question
0: and I think that goes back to what I was saying is the missing element I think if they would have kind of planted these seeds a little bit more then it would have been a little bit more easier to understand like you said because I mean obviously he's heated nobody is ever rational in their, their heated outrage so it just would have been a better viewing experience if we would have seen those seeds planted a little bit earlier Yeah, yeah and And I mean we I will give him credit to this Because They have planted How I mean I know this is for everybody But specifically for Foggy How important trust is Mm -hmm. Um, I I can't remember what episode it was exactly But there was that scene where Matt was like We all have secrets And Foggy's like I don't Kind of wish I had some But He's obviously this person Who values that And They do a good job Of where it gets to the point Where Karen calls And he has to choose to lie to her and we see how much that affects them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like we have point A we have point C we're just missing that middle part to get into that level of uh outbreak. Right.
1: Yeah. You know what and and I even wrote that down where Foggy says she deserves the no and mm-hmm. you know I wrote down a question is it Foggy's place to tell her? And <laughs> and I didn't have a good answer on that. Yeah. Cuz part of me wants to say actually yes or part of, yeah, part of me wants to say actually yes, it is I would understand foggy telling, you know, Um, even if it wasn't rational, even if it was a anger type of thing, you know, But and and mainly because like usually you would, I would think the logical thing would be, no, it's that person's secret. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that should be, you know, be the one to divulge it to other people. But the secret is you breaking the law and being a vigilante. And as we'll see in a later scene, that could implicate you Foggy and Karen, even if they don't know, right. you know, by association. So I think I, as much as we've been bagging on Foggy on this episode so far in uh, the second scene in third scene in, um, <laughs> it's, it, I'm, I'm kind of on Foggy's side on this, uh, on this one. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do find interesting here is here, you already mentioned it, but here I think is where they truly are paying off what that's set up from episode nine. Right, because because he says, um, "Is that what you do? Do you just hit ignore?" And Matt says, "No, you know." I also wrote, "It's like, no, he doesn't just hit ignore. He's actually kind of busy at the moment, like he's right. getting his butt kicked by Nobu, or he, he's, <laughs> you know, with Vladimir, you know, while the buildings are blowing up, um, you know, kind of kind of thing." But uh, you know, so here I, I think you get that ultimate payoff. Um, yeah, and what I find found really fascinating Matt breathes the sigh of relief right when foggy doesn't tell Karen I read Mm -hmm. that as despite being able to read people to know are you telling the truth or not I read that as Matt honestly not knowing what foggy was gonna do
0: yeah I like that read that I think that that shows a testament to foggy's emotions at that point mm-hmm. and that's cool I didn't pick up on that but i thinking back on it I like that
1: mm-hmm. yeah and the only other thing I honestly had was just where when Foggy asked hey did you kill that cop did you blow up those buildings and as Matt's ask is answering and saying hey do you even have to ask that and he says yeah I think I do and then he says you know it was Fisk there's a stutter but you can see like a tear rolling out of his face out of his eye on Matt um, and, I, and I just liked that little moment, because uh, to me it reminded me of, or made me think that Matt had in the back of his mind what Fisk said would happen. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, everything, everybody would turn on you, um, you know, during that scene when he talked on the, with him on the walkie-talkie. And so, it, and I feel like Matt was kind of having also that realization there that everyone was turning on him.
0: And to take that a step further, I mean, Fisk is only interacting with the man of the black mask. He has no idea who matt is so fisk's only interpretation is that people aren't going to trust the man in the black mask mm-hmm. the fact that that foggy knows now that it's matt and he still can't trust him just goes to show how deep that level of distrust fisk has sowed right. across the city oh
1: yeah yeah
0: so in the next scene we do get fisk meeting with gal on a rooftop uh fisk arrives alone and gal is immediately quick to comment on that fact And then Gal begins to recount a story about a snake who mistook an elephant for prey and was betrayed by its ambition.
1: Okay. I, I, two things that's, well, three things that stood out, one that had nothing to do with the episode. So I'll save that before we move on to the next scene. Um, Okay. First note was, you know, it it was interesting the comment back that Fisk had about, you know, not needing a translator. Cause I thought "Eh, we've been tracking this pretty well with Wesley and Wesley's more than just a translator. Um, right. So, I'm, I am curious about about that. And I think Gal knows as well that Wesley's more than just a translator. Um, mm-hmm. But then, my other note did Fisk really honestly think he was the elephant of that story? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, and uh, who knows? Uh, maybe, I don't know. The way it was played, I, it, it was like he was honestly asking. You know, but I'm like, mm-hmm. we've seen Fisk be intelligent enough that you shouldn't have to ask, ask that.
0: Right. Maybe it goes to show, because this, I feel like this whole scene is about how much each one of them places points, I guess, and their respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I believe Gal is now under the pressure that Fisk has lost respect for, her, even though he kind of insists on the contrary. Right. And so I don't think Fisk has picked up on the fact that he's losing Gal at this moment as well. Right.
1: Well, and clearly we get from here and it kind of answers some of your questions from episode nine, where Gal, you know, knows that Fisk manipulated Nobu uh, to -hmm. try to get Nobu taken out.
0: You know, I I like that you bring that up because we've seen before where Fisk makes a comment about like, I I can't lie to that woman. It's impossible. You know, she always picks up on it. Yeah. And, And we... We pointed out that scene the first time it happened as a way of like, okay, Fisk clearly values this friendship. And as you were saying, where he tried to play almost dumb and being like, I didn't send Nobu, Nobu. I told Nobu to send a warrior and he chose to go himself. And Gal says, you know, you knew he was a prideful man that he would go anyway. It shows the level of respect Fisk has lost to not tell Mm -hmm. her the truth Mm -hmm. anymore. And, and then subconsciously or consciously, he even tells her, you have something those others didn't, which is my respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Gal um, really, I think, cuts straight to the point with them. I love that exchange between them where she said, man cannot be both savior and oppressor. One has to be sacrificed for the other. Choose and choose wisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, you know, or else someone will choose for you. Um, And so that, you know, I I really liked that exchange. What I couldn't figure out was, was this good advice or a threat?
0: I think 100% a threat. Maybe Fisk doesn't pick up on it as a threat, but I 100% a threat. She ends with that line, something along the lines of um, how long before your ambition turns on me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like a preemptive, like, mm-hmm. get your stuff in order or or I will do it for you.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and this isn't the first time we've seen them interact when she showed up. You know, she had that flex. She showed up at his house to reveal, mm-hmm. hey, you've gotten sloppy. Um, and there I read that scene as kind of a friendly, courtesy advice. And and that's why it was like, is she threatening him here? I mean, I, I realize, I guess as we get through this episode, but... You know, but at the same time, in the moment, I'm like, okay, was this a threat or was this advice?
0: So, i I have a question specifically for you, because I, I, I kind I've watched this episode three times, and I was trying to see if there was anything I can glean from it, and it could totally be nothing. But it's one of those things that like you're making conscious decisions to frame a shot. Right. Do you think there was any significance to the frog in the fountain? Because it, it was just it felt purposely centered in between them. And yeah. I just didn't know if there was something that I was missing. Other,
1: The only thing I could come up with when I thought about that was uh-huh. that it was showing them divided. Like there's, they're sitting yeah. next to each other with a clear, like on the same level kind of thing. But they're clearly not together anymore. Yeah. That, you know, there's something dividing them. That's the only way I could take to read that that shot um, mm-hmm. other than just saying it's a nice location and a good place for that. <laughs> uh, it, you, you know, I mean like, like visually I mean, you want to, you want to kind of make it okay. They think they're on the same page and still respecting each other, but there's a clear thing between them. Okay.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything specific that I was missing. Yeah.
1: That, that's the only way I could think to take it. Um, mm-hmm. now I want to mention the off episode thing every, I, and both times I watched this for some reason, the skyline shot and then that shot leading up to that, I just kept thinking of the Spider-Man PS4 game, <laughs> and like and like no. I, I know that building. I've I've jumped off that building.
0: <laughs> that that's a testament to how well uh, they did in that game. That it just it it felt like you could go to those places in in the actual game. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, Which, I'm almost convinced the water tower uh-huh. across when you look out of Fisk's apartment is the roof i think that's the rooftop where you go to get to doc ox thing or something
0: now you're making me want to replay spider-man on the playstation 4 <laughs> like which yeah. which as a aside as we're recording this they just announced spider-man miles morales for the playstation yeah, 4 and it looks so good yeah i
1: texted you a link to it but yeah yeah i can't wait another
0: thing that i think is important to note in this scene is and again i i, I don't know for certain but I believe Nobu, because Gal makes a a reference to Nobu's clan and how they're kind of like waiting now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that's something that gets explored in later seasons. I love that we saw, you know, Matt go up against Nobu, and he was clearly outmatched. And honestly, the only reason he got out of that situation was just pure dumb luck with the sparks and the gasoline. Right. It's such a great sense of like foreboding doom that his clan. Nobu's clan is out there and wanting revenge, and I can't wait till we get to see that resolved and, mm-hmm. and hopefully in later seasons.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I will say that's one thing that this season I think did a really good job of is planting seeds for future development. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I think the biggest difference though was in some ways you could tell that. They were, it, it was almost like once they understood the MCU, once they understood, okay, where they're going with the infinity stones, you know, cause there was like some things they planted that it's like, oh, now we can pay off, but we weren't really sure, you know, if we we're mm-hmm. going to go in that direction. Whereas once you had the infinity stones, it was clear that everything was planted to move in that direction. I feel like that's what they did in season one is they knew a particular mm-hmm. direction they wanted to go it, yeah. and it was laying that groundwork.
0: So after the meeting with Fisk and Gal, we do meet up with Ben, who is visiting with his wife in the hospital. Uh, as he's writing down some notes, she awakes and they begin to reminisce about their life.
1: I, I like this little scene where Ben, I mean, it. it's, I mean, two things you get out of this really small sequence, right? I mean, you get, you, you push kind of Ben's storyline um, mm-hmm. and put pressure on him to have to make choices later on and kind of with what the responsibilities he has as a husband and his love of reporting. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she reminds him, you know, that he is a reporter, you know, like, like, like it's very much a part of who he is and in his soul. And I, and I really liked that uh, element of the scene.
0: And specifically Ben has a line about, you know, there are more important things because he's kind of breaking his head about this case. And she begins to reassure him, and and he uses that line and it's incredibly heartbreaking one here. And then we get to see that line get reused later on. But what makes it hurt here is that, you know, we see that he's having his doubts and his wife Doris is being incredibly supportive and urging him on. And I think you can kind of see like he briefly starts to believe it. Like, yeah, she's right. I can do this. And then when they have that memory lapse with her, it's like all that support is gone. And it's, mm-hmm. It, 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 one, obviously on a service level, it, it hurts to watch somebody lose their partner like that. Yeah. But then when you see what it means within the context of that scene, how the person who used to be his rock has gone to, because she doesn't remember saying those things. It just, it, it's, it's, show hurts, it's heartbreaking.
1: Man. Yeah. It's heartbreaking though. Yeah. The other little tidbit of information that we got out of this, um, as far as like pushing on the story was, um, Surely, the hospital administrator comes in and tells him that the extension that he's been trying to get doesn't didn't go through.
0: And you know, another thing I, I noted, kind of playing off that, is that so much of the show has kind of been this the idealist versus the realist debate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we get we get a small slice of it here because, like I said, for a brief moment, things are going to be okay with Ben. And
1: yeah.
0: he even mentions to Doris that the doctors thinks she's getting better, but the reality is, obviously, no, she isn't because of the memory lapse. And then the reality also is that their extension's gone. He loses both the belief in something bigger and hopeful and a chance for his wife to recover. And it's just... Well,
1: what's interesting is you also get the sense that because of her condition, um, this isn't mm -hmm. the first time that she's had that memory lapse while having those conversations. Yeah. But when she, uh, you know, woke up, you know, and said, hey, gorgeous, um, his reaction It was... It it didn't feel like... His first reaction didn't feel like a... Kind of, oh, we've done this before. Like, it was a genuine reaction and conversation. It it was almost like he forgot what was going on, you know? Um, And then having the rug pulled out from under him, like, when that happened was... was, uh, you know, heartbreaking,
0: especially because if you think about the first time that we learn about his wife and, and being in critical care, as he, I believe, as he's leaving the the hospital, one of the nurses pulls him aside and say like Hey, she was up today. She asked about you." Yeah, and like he immediately rushes yeah. to go see her, and she's still asleep. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, I I think this is something. It's not a conversation he hasn't had before, mm-hmm. but it's a rarity, and I think that's like you said, what makes it hard, right? And and it, again, we we say a testament to Marvel's restraint the fact that they waited so because we knew she was in urgent care but we never knew exactly why and the fact that they hadn't told us until the moment we see her lose that memory that that yeah just yeah sent it even more home right after that scene with ben and doris we do return back to foggy and matt foggy is opening up Matt's storage where matt keeps his suit and he starts to question where he got it all
1: I, what I liked about this was how Foggy believed Matt when he's kind of telling him and filling in details of how he got trained. Um, but at the same time, there was this hint of skepticism of like, you know, this sounds ridiculous, right?
0: It harkens back to the way a lot of the MCU proper movies handle. Like, like for example, well, this one actually doesn't count because that's legal issues, but like nobody ever calls Scarlet Witch Scarlet Witch or... They they refrain from using their superhero names mm-hmm. because outside of the comics context, that kind of just feels unnatural. Right. And it's fun that they get to play with that here with, yeah. with Foggy throwing back all of Matt's explanations. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is the scene where Foggy had the realization that Matt knew every time throughout their entire relationship if Foggy was not telling the truth. Right. And man, I, to me, two things. To be on Foggy's side of it, that has to be shocking yeah. Right. But on the other side of it, you mentioned that Foggy really seemed to pride himself on telling the truth mm-hmm. and be in this sense of honesty. So it was almost like I don't know how many times that you were lying to Matt throughout your relationship to such a degree that wasn't like in a playful way.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because the way they kind of cue that up, I thought that was going to lead us into a flashback where we see Foggy lie. And it be something of importance,
1: but that doesn't really happen. No, that would have been a really and, good thing to do.
0: Yeah, and so, and that's that's what I'm. I feel like I'm getting at when I say they're missing the middle element of this fight, is like they have they have the pieces there. There was just that one little thing to tie it all together that I think that would have made it a little bit more of a believable argument, right? Because you're like you said, Foggy is right. Like if I found out my best friend was lying to me and putting himself in danger, I would clearly be upset. I just don't see why I would be upset like it was a personal thing.
1: Right well and here's and here's the and I'm just gonna read right here it's like Foggy realizes Matt always knew Foggy's lying I'm okay with that actually that with 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 Matt playing along this whole time yeah. you know because to me and just to continue my thought as like he's in college and I'm thinking Matt just wants someone to treat him as normal he even said so in the first mm-hmm. meeting you know? Yeah. And so, and then there's another slight detail that I get, like in this situation, it's not the moment, like if Matt brings us up and he actually brings it up, I think in a later scene, but this, and this isn't the moment. I mean, Matt brings us up now he's being an ass. Um, and it's when foggy was on the phone and he said, Oh, did you hear all that? And he said, no, I have to concentrate, you know? And, and so it was almost like, It also could be the case. I mean, Matt said, yes, I knew every time you weren't telling me the truth, but it could be the case that Matt didn't know if he wasn't trying or concentrating.
0: And to kind of to to push a little further with that, you you brought up how irrational Fongy was being with wanting a yes or no answer to something more complicated. It could very well be on that line of thought. Matt was just saying yes, because he knew that he couldn't be rational with Fongy about like, well, it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. I, I I like that pickup. And, and uh, on the topic of Matt's honesty with listening in on people, I am really glad that Foggy calls out the breach of privacy with Matt using his powers to aid his lawyer side. Yes. Uh, specifically the Karen situation, uh, you rightfully pointed out how invasive it was, but we kind of just kept moving forward because it's like, oh, you know, these, these superheroes, will give them a pass. But Foggy stating it plainly within the context of the show really heightens how messed up it mm-hmm. is.
1: It, it really is you know, yeah. um, to have that ability. But you know, it's, it's interesting cause we're, and, and I'm wondering why it's difficult with this to side with foggy. Cause there's some things Foggy's saying that I'm clearly like on board with, you know, but at the same time, in terms of the anger and all this stuff and, and there, but it's like, we do that often. We give our protagonist hero the benefit of the doubt or the pass you know mm-hmm. uh for things that otherwise normally you're just like no. No, no 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 yeah so
0: i mean it's just that's the symptom of a lot of shows is that we give the protagonist like leeway i mean look at breaking bad like that show is a character acting horrifically and yet so many people are rooting for him and it, it's just nice to have that called out within the context of the show, what we normally would have just kept looking past. Yeah,
1: see, for me, that show would be Dexter. I, I know, I, how do I want to say this? I am not a Breaking Bad fan. Really? Yeah, and so, which is weird because, like, I was a fan of Dexter, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, and I don't know, at this point, not, this isn't necessarily the place to get into all my reasons why. Like, and I recognize how, I know, how good the- it, it, Breaking Bad was, but... But, but I know exactly what you mean in terms of like
0: mm-hmm.
1: watching a show like that and you're cheering for somebody and reading really more than you're like in any other situation. You're like, no.
0: Yeah. Side note, you have no idea how much I want to do a spin off Breaking Bad podcast with you now <laughs> just, to, just to have you watch it. I love that show so much. And not even because Breaking mm. Bad itself is an achievement, but Better Call Saul is amazing yeah. as well. And I'd love for you to see yeah. that too. I,
1: I'll just say this and leave it. I reject the premise of the show. I. Okay. Yeah. Like, like from the very okay. from the very ground, foundationally, it just doesn't, yeah. Hmm. I'll
0: save it for off podcast. We're okay. already getting super long of the episode. All right. All right. <laughs> right. uh, the last thing that I want to say about this scene, and this could ultimately be nothing, but there's been so many times where you or I have pointed out something and it gets serviced later. I have to believe there's a reason that they showed Foggy placing the key back underneath the fire hose and I really hope I'm right. I don't know if you know if it gets called back, but it, it was interesting to me that they specifically cut to Foggy placing that key back to Matt's wardrobe.
1: I don't remember. When you yeah. ask about it, the callback, I don't remember. That, that'll be yeah. something to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, I hope that comes into play, because otherwise it, it feels like an odd thing to kind of frame.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So here we get another flashback to college uh, with Matt and Foggy. Um, this time they're drunk, um, and... Walking late at night, uh, kind of giving each other a hard time talking about the future, their future plans of being Murdoch and Nelson, or Nelson and Murdoch, as Matt changes it to, uh, where they sit down on us on steps.
0: You know, for as much as I've questioned how much the fighting in the present day works for me, the strongest part of this episode is without a doubt uh, the flashbacks with their friendship. And I mm-hmm. think this scene in particular is the strongest point of it. Right. Uh, one, because it it really feels like just two dudes in college just out on on a stroll, and they feel believable as friends. Right. and then two, they're both are doing a really good job of being buzzed. Like oh, yeah. that feels like it's hard to fake, and yeah. it just feels so natural in this scene. Yeah,
1: well, and I like this scene because they he almost Matt almost slips up twice. Yeah, you know, and and here's the and here's the thing, and there's two ways to read this, I guess. Like there's the yeah. Th- this is they're really good friends and it feels natural and good, but honestly, if there was ever a time where Matt could have revealed this to Foggy, that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he almost slipped up, like as he said about, you know, yeah, I get the spins. It's probably worse for me because of, and he, you know, and he kind of stops himself there and the switch from Murdoch to Nelson to Nelson and Murdoch, and he's like, trust me, I have spectacular hearing. You right. know. And so yeah, they could have like that would have been the time, um, and now to go back to something you were been saying, that is maybe another missed opportunity, you know, and in, in terms of the tension in the in the present with pairing with the flashback. Mm-hmm. In, th- in other words, maybe they could have had Foggy realize, like remember, like you know, or or in in this flashback or something, that Matt almost slipped up or something like that.
0: Yeah, it could have been in this scene or in a scene where we're coming up uh, with, I think later on, where they make a decision to start their own practice. Yeah, that
1: I think that mm-hmm.
0: is a good point that you could have called back to those moments to yeah. have it ooh, fuel ooh. a little bit more. What?
1: No, you keep going. Yeah, no, just what you said triggered something. <laughs> you could have had
0: these moments to kind of uh, call back to to fuel the moment in the present.
1: Yeah, and it and
0: it's interesting because they've been doing such a great job of callbacks in this episode. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and just what you said made triggered something of like, yeah, you're right. There's a moment where they had a good callback set up and they they didn't utilize it. Um, one mm-hmm. other quick side note about this scene, um, when they mentioned the Greek girl, that is a reference to Electra.
0: Really? Yes. So I have no comic knowledge of this. How does that play in?
1: Um, Electra is. Oh, I don't want to Jennifer explain. Garner
0: <laughs> was that her I feel I'm a little yeah, iffy on my Marvel knowledge yeah, in, in
1: in the in the Ben version of Daredevil Jennifer Garner played that uh, I've never seen her solo spinoff movie um, mm-hmm. I personally I will say um, yeah I'll and say this uh, Elektra does show up in season two Mm-hmm. Um and I prefer that Electra over Jennifer Gardner, but I also prefer this Daredevil over Ben. So Yeah. <laughs> it tracks. Yeah. So uh but yeah, no, it was uh someone, you know, uh love interest of uh Daredevil, you know, outside of Karen Page, but also I think member of the hand and um a heroine. Uh, but a little bit more shady, like there, at times mm-hmm. there's a uh, bad guy and good guy uh, or bad girl and good girl. Sorry. Um, and, you know, within within this character arc, uh, I do find it interesting in the comic, Frank Miller killed her. And mm-hmm. for him, he definitively says, no, she's dead. And I, if I wow. remember right, I don't think he liked her portrayal in season two. Um, cause like, no, it's a, it's a dead character. Any, if you ever see her outside of that, that's not the Electra I created. So Hm.
0: <laughs> sounds like a writer didn't like people playing with his toys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, then go, then you need to go work for image comics and not Marvel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> After we get back from the flashback, we return to Ben. Who's looking over some pamphlets about hospice. His editor arrives to discuss Ben handing off a story. And that conversation eventually leads to a potential promotion for Ben. Yeah, I, I'll just say I I have done a complete 180 on my feelings for Ben's editor. When we first got introduced to him, I I was not a fan of him whatsoever. But I really am liking him. Um, he just felt so in- antagonistic at first, but I think he's genuinely just trying to help do what's best for his friend, even if even if it comes across as like you know a good ribbing between friends. Um, I think he does care.
1: Right, and um, and actually. I mean, as I think that through, uh, from the scenes we've seen his editor, uh, he does it, it's actually kind of nuanced what he's doing. You know, he he's playing mm-hmm. the role of boss and playing the role of friend, um, and, and having a, uh, a good way of separating those two, you know, yeah. um, which is, I'll be honest in a workplace, isn't always easy to do.
0: Yeah. I, that's a, that's a good distinction to make between the way that he behaves with Ben.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now I know we've seen this before the newspapers on, on the back of the wall, but I didn't catch it the first time though, though, cause you brought it up, the MCU reference about the events in New York. But what I noticed mm-hmm. this time was the one that was clearly an incredible Hulk reference. Um, and you see yes. abomination and it was a, that broke Harlem or Harlem is broken or something, something along those lines.
0: Yes. And so, you know, it's funny. The first time that we saw the newspaper, Uh, where it was like attack on New York I forgot about that one but I remembered the newspaper that said Harlem Terror Hulk the Harlem Terror which is the Hulk reference that you're talking about Mm -hmm. and I remember rewatching that episode where it was the attack on New York Mm -hmm. It's like I know there was a Hulk reference here somewhere (laughs) it was just we never saw that angle until this specific scene right
1: right (laughs) yeah from this we cut back to the Nelson and Murdoch office Uh, and Karen is arriving and she finds uh, a mysterious box on her desk. And then I, I like what they did here um, because they got it really tense because then Ben showed up out of the shadows.
0: It's just more proof that Ben is Batman. Yes. That is, yes. that is, yes. Ben is 100% Batman. Yes. But no, I, you know, I mentioned it earlier in that scene with Ben and his wife about the line there are more important things you know that's the line that ben uses then his wife is super supportive and we start to see him believe again and then of course the memory lapse happens and we move forward it's heartbreaking again here because karen is like i thought we've already been through this why are you giving up on this case now and ben once again says it is important there are just more important things to me right now and it it you see how much that loss of his wife has taken effect on. Him.
1: Right. And I think here he says he's taking a leave of absence. He doesn't say he's taking the new position. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he mentions uh, that he just, he can't afford it. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to just be upfront. This scene starts a slow slide for me on Karen. Uh, Cause Karen yeah. convinces Ben uh, hey, let's go check out another nursing home to go, you know, um, when when Beard, when Ben clearly, you know, I, for me, Ben clearly wanted out like there was no uh, kind of back and forth on Ben. He's like, here, this is your stuff. You've earned it. There's more important things for me,
0: you know, because I mean, even if they've maybe lost the thread a little bit we talked about how much we loved Karen and Ben being paired up because it was almost like Ben was taking her under his wing and teaching her to be like Mm -hmm. an investigative journalist. And we kind of get that, that final farewell here because specifically Ben says, you know, you're good at turning heads, causing a problem. You remind me of me, but that's half of it. The other half is knowing when to pull out. Right. And so like you said, there is no question. Ben is done. Like he, he, he wants out and he has legitimate reason to, and he even goes so far as to explain to Karen why, with the situation with his wife, and the way Karen responds, I think she says something like, "Why didn't you tell me it had gotten so serious?" I think that implies that even though we never saw it in the show, they were close enough that Ben had confided in her before about the situation with his
1: wife. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good little catch there. That kind of like an off-screen moment uh, that we were able to put together. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. You know, and you mentioned about him taking her under under his wing in the very beginning of the scene. He was teaching her tricks like you need to be more careful, like, you know, lock the door. <laughs> 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 you know, and then she's like, I am it really <laughs> yeah, I am careful and, you know, pulls out mace and it's like, no, no, lock the door.
0: It really feels like a disservice to Karen's character. I I think we were both excited once Foggy and Karen were getting stuff to do, and then we talked about how it felt like they kind of misconstrued their storylines together, Yeah, and then here, they have just taken away all effectiveness of Karen being yeah. the the smart investigative journalist. Well, yeah,
1: because it's, it's not about, at this point, at the office, it's not about necessarily your safety, it's all the paperwork you have, all the research, all mm-hmm. the, you know... Uh yeah. Yeah.
0: So after that scene where Karen convinces Ben to take a little drive to a nursing home Karen found upstate, uh we get to Fisk's apartments where he, Leland, and Wesley are getting ready for a formal event. Uh Leland is clearly upset about Nobu's death, but Fisk insists that Leland speaks to Gal to smooth things over.
1: Yeah, um the biggest note I have here, well, I have two notes. The biggest note that's relevant to the episode is where Leland said gal's right you've changed because to me Mm -hmm. there was this implication that like well go back to think when like when Wesley's like yeah we've been talking behind your back to the Russians it was Uh almost kind of that moment of like "Eh, you want me to go talk to gal but gal's also like already been talking to me yeah you know that's that's the way I took that comment
0: I didn't pick up on that but now that you're pointing that out yeah that that makes sense and it also, it also kind of makes it feel like high school kids fighting, like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. The, the way they're all going behind each other's back.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I loved the the exchange with Wesley. You know, when when he was like, "Well, you didn't really like Nobu anyway." He's like, well, "I don't like you, but I'm not going to light a match."
0: I'm glad you pointed that out because my first note was this: Wesley could kick Leland's ass in that moment. Like the look <laughs> on his face, he was done with Leland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man the only other note that I have is without getting too too far ahead we obviously know there's a big orchestrated event coming at the end yes uh, kind of the, the biggest moment of the episode yes. from this point forward do you think Leland played a part in that scene or if you know I don't know if you know if that gets answered in I, later episodes if it
1: does get answered I honestly don't remember and I want to say mm-hmm. yes yeah and, and the only reason why is we've seen like Leland agreed to talk to Gal and from Leland's perspective, you've seen Fisk take off Anatoly's head. Mm-hmm. Or not seen it, but you know of it. You know that he let Nobu burn alive. You're standing mm-hmm. in his apartment. What else are you going to say? Yeah. You know. And if you're in it for your own survival and he's a businessman trying to make money and he sees himself as in- intricately important because he's the money man, you know, um, as when he tried to decide, you know, get in good with Nobu at the beginning of the stick episode I'm not convinced that Leland talked to Gal on behalf of Fisk and I'm honestly surprised Fisk would expect him to
0: I'm trying to think I mean have has Leland which Fisk should be skeptical whatsoever being the intelligent man that he is but I'm trying to think has Leland ever shown a tendency to go behind Fisk's back like we've seen him take jabs at him but obviously Fisk doesn't know about him trying to side up with Nobu or
1: yeah, I don't think we've seen him. I don't I don't think we've seen that. Uh mm-hmm. but we've definitely seen the jabs increasing.
0: I think that that makes sense that it, to there's definitely enough groundwork there for it to be plausible.
1: Yeah. My last little note and I think I already mentioned this, uh-huh. uh but I just in case I didn't, long week, don't remember. Uh so I'm just going <laughs> to say it one more time, I feel like every time I see Fisk apartment that water tower, just I think it's spider PS4 Spider-Man. You know, uh-huh. And so, and we saw it there. <laughs> so I just, I, I got to mention it.
0: Now we need to go both play Spider Man PS4 and take screenshots of that game and then screenshots of the Netflix show and see if we can 100% determine whether it is okay, or not.
1: Okay. I'm in. I'm in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give me a good excuse to fire it up again. So after that meeting with Leland Fisk and Wesley, we do return back to Matt's apartment where Foggy is speaking with Mahoney. Uh, Mahoney informs Foggy that the junkie that killed Elena died by falling off the roof, which leads Foggy to start questioning whether or not Matt did it.
1: Right. I think I've already started to reference this scene when Foggy asked Matt, you know, did you listen in? And he said, no, I have to concentrate. And then, uh, you know, Foggy, I think rightfully so, uh, questions Matt about uh, the junkie. And and this is the one I found, because we were critical of that, of Matt, you know. And, and I get, they were trying to show Matt being upset and letting the devil out. But, like, I think Foggy was justified in asking, did you kill the junkie or, you know, was this you? Because at this point, he had, like, through newspaper, I don't remember, thinking back to the episodes, was it known that the man in the mask threw the Russian over the side? I don't think I so. I
0: don't think so that never if it if it is known it's never stated in the show
1: okay yeah i don't think it is because the only people would have known was the guy thrown over and he died (laughs) you know um the kid claire and matt so yeah
0: i believe the russians
1: i believe know
0: as a general but i mean they're all gone now
1: right so yeah okay so like i don't yeah foggy wouldn't have known that matt did that
0: you know i the thing that i get Taken away from the scene is last week you asked me if that episode was the bottom of the story circle overall for the season, right? Uh, these scenes here I think really solidifies the answer being yes. Um, you know, Matt's one on the entire story circle has been whether he knew it or not, it's been wanting to put an end to Fisk. Mm-hmm. He finally gets him in last week's episode, but he pays that incredible price for it, and now. He's being forced to examine all his decisions mm-hmm. at the judgment of his best friend. Oh, yeah. And it really, it really feels like we're gearing up for that return journey home having changed. Yeah.
1: Well, and he... And Matt here is... This is where he outright admits, yes, I wanted to kill Fisk. I went to kill Fisk.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like for a character that's been... One, we've been examining it just watching the episode, but two, we've known internally he's debating this. No kill code... To mm-hmm. have him say, yes, I wanted to kill him, it shows just how much he's broken.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So after their argument in the present about Matt wanting to kill Fisk and Foggy pushing back about how upsetting that is, we do flash back to where Matt and Foggy are still working at Laman and Zach, and they are on a large legal team that is aiding Roxon to defend themselves from an ex-employee. Matt uses his super hearing to know that an ex-employee is innocent and uses this to propel them to starting their own practice.
1: Yeah. And so I like that the scene kind of, I don't think it fully does, but it gives, starts to lay the lay the groundwork as to how, why Matt no longer trusted the law to do what it should do. Um, but I think right here is where that missed opportunity was that you brought up about a callback mm-hmm. in Foggy's anger. Right? So like, mm-hmm just as he realized with Karen, oh, you knew Karen was telling the truth because you invasively listened in. Well, Matt did the same thing here. And it seems like they could have had Foggy put two and two together because they had the conversation, you know, hey, this is the law. How do you know? And he says, I just have a feeling. Well, feelings aren't admissible in court. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so this was another moment where Foggy could have had that callback about, hey, You know, you did this here. um, And even on top of this, that caused him to make a life changing, a big life changing decision and leaving that job.
0: You know, we've been talking about it throughout this episode, how like it feels like there's a missing piece. And for so much of the season, Foggy's had issues with the man in the black mask. And even now that he knows Matt is the man in the black mask, his issues are still with the man in the black mask when it really should be with the things that Matt's done. And it's just not coming across within the episode.
1: Well, and that's, and that's just really fascinating because even with, as we're tracking Matt's character, you know, I know we keep, bring, we bring up this struggle between, well, I mean, up to this point, it's been a struggle between what is the best way of justice. Is it the street justice with Daredevil or is it the legal form of justice uh, with Matt? And we've been putting Matt up as an idealist. Um I think this is starting to show that Matt's not really the idealist we are thinking he was, or they're portraying him to be here. Um, and mm-hmm. there's not really two sides of them, um, you know, at least in, in Matt's mind, you know, or you could just say that maybe it's that the mask, the, the daredevil is starting to overtake uh, Murdoch. And we saw those seeds with the Healy case.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, we even called it out where, you know, he has that outrage where Fisk comes out in the light and he tosses his computer to the side. All throughout that episode, he was holding on to that belief that if he gets his friends to do things the legal way, you know, then there's hope. And we saw that get shattered. I think you mentioning out that the daredevil has fully taken over. I think you're right.
1: Right. Well, and I think on top of that, I mean, you have this comment. We come back after the fist bump to Matt's um, apartment. And Foggy's staring out the window and he says, say what you're going to say. And he's like, I don't have to say anything. And Matt's like, no, your breathing changes when you want to say something. And in that moment, it was no longer Matt, right? Like, like it was, I've had enough of this, you know, say what you're going to say. Kind of, kind of moment to kind of echo that idea like the devil has won.
0: After the continued argument between Foggy and Matt, we do return back to Karen and Ben who were driving upstate. Uh, Karen questions why Ben didn't let her know how serious it was with his wife, and uh, Ben begins to reminisce about his wife's strength and how it kept them going.
1: You know, at this point, and it was it was nice that they that they had that moment in, in the car, but the the frustration and just outright anger, I guess, towards Karen's character kind of really started to bubble up because clearly they through the change of day to night, they were going on a significant drive, you know, at least that's what, mm-hmm. to me, they were signaling, you know, and there's an element of like, he's telling you this story about his wife. He's letting you into a really intimate part of his marriage, you know, and opening up and you're dragging him out somewhere that once you see, once we see the place, like he can't afford that, like clearly, mm-hmm. like it's just obvious um, that he can't afford that place. And it's just like, how, how, how how can you do this? How can you treat him that way?
0: Uh, the thing that I wrote down is like I like where this Karen and Ben storyline is leading us towards revelation wise. Like we obviously know what's going to happen. I I just wish they would have found a better way to get there. Uh, specifically, Ben feels too smart to be led along like this, and it feels out of character to be this manipulative on Karen's part. Mm-hmm. Like we we've we've seen characters, specifically Matt, be manipulative, and in turn it puts his friends in danger. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we've seen anyone straight up use them emotionally like this with Ben and his wife, like because she's using that bait of like, hey, you know, this place could be good for your wife, but we know clearly that's not what she's bringing him out
1: here. Yeah, well, and and we say no clearly, like you can tell back at the office scene, like, and which I mean, in that sense, it was great acting on that part to to you know to cue in that hey, this is there's ulterior motives. You know, I think I might have been more angry if I didn't get that sense in the beginning. You know, than to mm-hmm. find out what What are you doing?
0: Well, because even even in that scene back in the office where she comes in and discovers the shoebox, she is on the phone trying to get a hold of Foggy, and she's saying like, "Foggy, you won't believe what I fi- found out. We need to, you know, meet up and go." Like yeah. she was going to rope Foggy into that, yeah. but it just so happens that she uses this opportunity to bring uh, Ben yeah. in instead. Yeah.
1: Oh, and by the way, that the security at that place sucks. yeah yeah yeah
0: i mean just not exactly top notch no
1: i mean it looked nice but just the way they were able to walk around you know i mean i mean i get getting into the door right not not even to that degree although they didn't they were already in the lobby but it's just like once they got in just a free row i don't know it just didn't seem right
0: So after Ben and Karen inspect the nursing home, we do switch back over to Foggy and Matt who are continuing their fight. Foggy asks Matt how he gets to the point where he puts a mask on and goes out and fights crime. Uh, Matt reveals stories about how he used to lay awake when he was a kid and listen to all the sirens and wonder what was going on. And how ultimately that led him to one day where he just couldn't take it anymore and went out and started fighting crime.
1: Yeah. So, all right. So here we get you know the story as you said the first time out. Clearly watching it, he let the devil out, right? And mm-hmm. at the end of that, you got a sense of like you had the dripping blood. He it's like he almost had a taste for blood, right? And he enjoyed it.
0: Mm-hmm. But I have a question. Yeah. I have a
1: question for you. Yeah. Back in episode one, we start with an opening confession, right? And he says, forgive me for what I'm about to do. Was that confession, do you think, now before this or before the scene at the docks?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I didn't put that together for this scene in particular with the flashback. But now I kind of believe it might be. Like I, At first, I just kind of thought it was supposed to be for the docks. And then I forgot what moment happens in the middle of the season that makes me think, oh, maybe this isn't directly tied to that but i think you're right i think it might have been before this scene where he goes and and puts on the mask for the first time yeah
1: well because he goes in there to confession he gives you know he gives the the story about his dad you know his dad let the lets the devil out uh and he says you know i need you know i'm here for what i'm about to do which in episode one you think it's the docs but now i watching this scene uh kind of i kind of think it should be paired up with this one
0: I think you're right. Honestly, I think my biggest problem with this episode is right here. Uh, I didn't exactly state it in the, the setup, but, you know, the story that Matt tells of what motivated him to go out there was that he heard of father abusing, sexually abusing his young daughter, and he tried calling protective services, but nobody believed him, so that caused him to go out and beat the guy and, and mm-hmm. keep him from doing mm-hmm. that. You know, you brought up that trope about putting the women in fridge um, where women are used as motivated for men yeah. and I think we kind of get that instance here but even you know one step further with the sexual trauma aspect of it and like I understand the example of the man abusing his daughter sexually is incredibly horrible but again kind of going back to what we were saying like you as the creator of the show you're making conscious decisions and the fact that they use this as as what the motivator was just feels emotionally manipulative mm-hmm. and and it feels even gross that this is the moment That Matt justifies everything that he does mm-hmm. And it, out of all the possibilities They have it just feels like it's the wrong Way for Daredevil be, to become Daredevil This way Yeah. and like you said especially with The camera lingering on the blood and, and on his lips Kind of like you know he has the taste For it it's almost kind of trying to convey That this was gratifying to, to Matt Like it had nothing to do With just the, the person that was Being right. abused what? it was more about Him taking it out Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um, I thought about that, and for me, I had to think about from a story, you know, from a creator standpoint, showrunner standpoint, you have to have, I'm thinking, you have to have some reason to take that drastic of a step, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on that you would make an idealist lawyer trying to help the little person go to that extreme? And it has to be something that Foggy's not going to interrupt and say, really? You got tired of this liquor store being robbed. You, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and yeah. so to some extent, it was kind of like the impaling of, of Healy and then the taking off Anatoly's head. Like you have to do something with Fisk the first time we see him get violent that warrants Healy's actions. You know? Mm-hmm. And so that, that was kind of where I was, where my head was when I was thinking about that, watching it was... You know, there has to be something. I agree when you're saying the emotionally manipulative, but it's like I I couldn't think of another scenario under which Foggy and the audience would be like, oh, yeah, I'd beat that person, too. You you know what I mean?
0: And that's what makes it hard is because, like I said, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be motivated to, like, defend somebody? But I guess where this scene gets it wrong is that. It doesn't feel, and, and how could you, because this is just a, a, a small story and a larger season that's not even discussing that, but like it's more about how, I guess, cathartic it is to Matt, mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. when they have that line about, like, I've never slept better. Right, yeah. And so it just, it, yeah. it just feels kind of gross to take something super traumatizing like uh-huh. that and then just use it in this scenario. Like, I get what you're saying mm-hmm. about yeah. needing something to be, be the thing that causes Matt to become Daredevil. I just, I wish... <laughs> me or the writers could have figured out something better no
1: no, no. the the i mean there's a point well taken like i mean it's you're taking something that is horrific and using it you know i mean you're taking an abuse using it for the gratification of the main character because like you said the the yeah. and the whole line i never slept better
0: and, and you know i thought about it too like i'm trying to figure out what like clearly define why i feel this is wrong because we had that scene in episode two where he rescues the young boy that was going to be sold, and even though they don't say exactly what it is, I mean we can infer what being sold means, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it's not like they haven't done this before. I just I think the difference between that scene and this scene is maybe respecting the trauma.
1: Right. Well, and I, yeah, I mean it's respecting the trauma. I think that, I think that's the best way to put it.
0: Uh, one final thing I do want to say about this scene is I do like that Foggy calls him out here, by. And to your point, like what, what, what is an example that foggy couldn't interrupt and be like, okay, you know, no, I get it. Mm-hmm. But, but foggy calls him out by saying, look, you don't go from being this guy who goes by the law and then one day putting on the mask, you know, you kept training. Like yeah. You weren't just waiting for a moment to snap. Right. There was a reason for it that you stuck with yes,
1: yeah. No. And that, and that's maybe that is their way, the show's way of having that reaction that that you're having and that we're talking about mm-hmm. is through Foggy and saying and saying that.
0: After Matt reveals the origin of him putting on the mask, we do return back to Ben and Karen who are walking through the nursing home. Uh, ben begins to recount that the only thing that lives on after us is the stories we tell each other and that leads them to right outside the door of a resident by the name of Mrs. Vistain.
1: Okay, so I'm just going to read right from my notes. Karen is vicious Second episode. <laughs> oh no! Second, uh, and you've already said it. This is the second episode where she manipulated someone to serve her own ends, right? Mm-hmm. And that that kind of you, you know, and, and the willingness to do that to somebody, um, and not just Ben, you know, Miss Vistain as well. You you know, I mean, clearly as you have, see that conversation going, um, she's taking advantage a little bit of this elderly woman to. To achieve these ends, in a similar way, she did that with Miss Cardenas, and convincing her. We talked about this of sh- they, you know, should they have convinced Cardenas to take the money? Was that actually better for her, you know, rather than pushing through with what they needed to stop Fisk? A lot of
0: uh, emotional manipulation going on in this episode, <laughs> right?
1: Right. Well, and the uh, thing is, is, it's all it's all around, you know.
0: Ma- this is actually a direct question for you. This just popped in my head. How? useful is this information they're going to get from Mrs. Vistain, who we learn is Wilson Fisk's mother, when I mean, she clearly has memory issues as well. Like, whatever they get from her, is it going to be able to hold up as evidence? I wouldn't think so.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. I I mean, okay, let's, let's, two things. A, let's say it does. I don't know. Okay, so Fisk killed his dad. She chopped him up. And they had a week at a time drifted his body parts in the river right yeah. so there's an element of criminal you know criminal act there um, because with the domestic well let, I'm gonna try to be realistic here I wanted to say with the domestic abuse you could kind of make that call and you would think that there are no charges we repressed and all of that um, but they were also talking about a different time period mm-hmm. as well um, so I don't know if it's as clear, Back then, at least considering the flashback, not when the show aired, but like in the flashback, uh, domestic abuse would be handled in the way which we would expect it to be. And so in that sense, mm-hmm. um, cutting up the body parts and dropping it, eh, highly un- unreasonable and very psychopathic, but I I get it. But this many years later, I don't know if there's enough. Like you said, the memory problems, the the domestic abuse, Um, Yeah. You know, yeah. And you already have public opinion on Fisk's side, and he owns the media. He's going to spin that story however he wants.
0: Yeah, I, I just kind of didn't quite get what all they're getting at here with this trip.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they're, they're still clearly digging for that thread, trying to pull a thread to take Fisk down.
0: And I guess they wouldn't know about the memory lapses until they actually got there, so maybe that's unfair of me to kind of mm-hmm. discredit the whole purpose of the trip. Right. Uh, the only note that I had for this scene... Uh, is when we first get to the scene, Ben and Karen are walking through the hallways and there is a resident that stops and turns to Karen and says, you're really pretty. Uh, do you think that scene was scripted or was that just kind of a natural thing that happened because both Karen and Ben's reactions felt genuine in a way that didn't seem like acting?
1: Right. Um, you know what? I, I think I in, the, in watching it, I think I took it as scripted, but... I kind of siding with you now, as you point that out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It just, it it was like, what was the purpose?
1: (laughs) Well, and let me add this to give you an idea of of where clearly we stand on this episode, and how we feel about the this emotional manipulation on Karen's part. This is the scene that, through questioning, we find out Miss Vastine is Fist's mother, and we didn't even bring that up. Mm -hmm. Yet, you know. Um, where yeah. Ben is trying to like, you know, they walk in and Ben's doesn't really want to walk in the door. He's trying to get her out of the room and then he only gets interested when he finds out who it is. Right. Um, but we didn't even bring that up because we were just so focused in on, you know, Karen and how they got there. Um. So, yeah.
0: You know, I think in both cases with Ben and Karen and Matt and Foggy is... It's the reason I think we're, we we kind of overlooked it is because we've seen how much this episode is writing towards where they want to be rather than it letting it happen naturally right. and that we just keep bumping into these things that just don't feel natural about the episode.
1: right. Well, and we said the same thing about the foggy and Karen relationship up in the beginning. you know if uh, Which, it,
0: if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that's episode world on fire. Which is written by the same
1: <laughs> writer for this episode. So, yeah,
0: I've been sitting on that this entire episode because I didn't want to drag anybody. Yeah. But that came out naturally. Okay. Awesome,
1: awesome. We planned it. And I set it up. Uh, you know, it's it's ten podcasts and a pilot experience coming out. Um, but, but yeah, like you're right, and and go back to that episode and taking that direction where you feel like that natural chemistry between the two of them and that's the way it's naturally going but they clearly are riding to a, a, a different point.
0: Yeah. So after the grand revelation of Ben and Karen finding Fisk's mother we do finally arrive at the formal event where fisk is delivering a speech in front of donors with vanessa by his side uh after the speech fisk makes his rounds and discusses situations with various donors and a senator and one by one it is slowly revealed that the drinks have been poisoned leaving ultimately vanessa to fall in fisk's arms
1: i really liked the opening dialogue of fisk in this scene because it begins Mm -hmm. with him talking about how he treasures his privacy and we just come got yeah. got off that where um Karen and Ben or I mean let's just call it what it is interrogating you know uh his mom
0: I think I liked is if we go back to that scene where Gal points out that you can't be both savior and oppressor it feels like Fisk's opening statements here is a a direct retort to what she was trying to tell him uh because he says something to the lines of like you know, I, I bet you're wondering why someone like me would want to want to do something, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, when he values his privacy. Yeah. And I question those who wouldn't do anything after all of the violence that has happened. Yeah. And so I think the thing that's most notable to, to notice in that scene is right before he says, I question who wouldn't, he turns and looks at Vanessa. And I think that kind of gives uh, credit to Gal's accusations that Fisk has changed because... I don't know what the original agreements were for that union allied group, but I don't know if Fisk was ever fully upfront about wanting to better the city. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Gao was upset that he was putting himself in the public light and she is, is blaming Vanessa for that. Yeah, well, You know what? So I just, I, I, I like that they, they had Fisk look at her before making that.
1: Yeah. You know what I find? I, I'm glad you picked that up. What I, what I find interesting is I couldn't, I personally couldn't tell. I was kind of conflicted. Of was he trying to? Because I'm assuming the public doesn't know about Gal, right? And so, right. And so, but as at a public event, I kind of took it as he's trying to continue to, to dogpile on the bad reputation of Daredevil. Um, and and kind of lay, kind of layer that even more. Um, but I like that that read, and I'm gonna take that and put it on top of mine because now. You get kind of both, right? You kind of have that public condemning of Daredevil for, for what he's doing and um, a shot to to Gal, who's, who he knows is going to be paying attention.
0: So, yeah, I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, uh, but this is what I was referring to when I was asking about whether or not Leland had a hand in orchestrating this. Uh, because I'm under the assumption that this was Gal's doing, uh, the poisoning of the, of the drinks. Um, something I tried to keep a note on while watching this scene the second and third time is Leland gla- grabs a drink himself, and he also hands one to Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever see him go to take a drink. And the only evidence that I have towards him maybe not being in on it is the way he kind of like shockingly drops the drink. Right. But I don't know. Like, I,
1: well, okay, that,
0: that's the only thing.
1: I didn't. I didn't take it that he handed it to Vanessa. I thought he was trying to hand it to Fisk and Vanessa took it before Fisk could get it.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I need to go back and rewatch that yeah, I n- Maybe I need to start upping my views to four times a <laughs> week instead of three.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, and that's how I took that. Like, like uh-huh. he was trying to get it to Fisk. Huh. And, well, because, I mean, because the way that Gal throws that line,
0: like, you must choose or somebody will choose for you, it felt like her choosing for him was getting Vanessa out of the picture. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I'll need to check that out again just to see.
0: And, I, I mean, it's just one of those, like... It's obviously written, you know, it's going to be made one way or the other because you're casting a wide net by poisoning everybody. So I guess there's no way they could have known who specifically would have been poisoned. That's
1: true. Well, but the thing is, if you get into Madam Gal's head here for a second, I mean, if you just try to poison one person, then it's clearly you have a pretty good idea who it is. You you know what I mean? Or at least Fisk would. So so yeah, like it, it makes sense and you have a better chance of just... Getting who you want by poisoning everybody, um, you know. Now, one of the things that okay, so what stood out to me about this scene and what in my notes what I actually tracked down, and I didn't catch it the first viewing, right? So we talk about this. Like I I watched it, you know, I watched the episode on Sunday night, just the first time to start the week, and um, try to catch it again. And then my note taking is Wednesday night before we record, and my note taking this time, I even I caught it and I had to go back. Uh, the acting on Vanessa's part was fantastic. Because mm-hmm. what, what ends up happening is she takes a drink and she kind of makes a face and looks down at the glass. Yeah. You know, and while this conversation's going, so it's really subtle and you don't see it. You know, but but you could tell it was off. It didn't taste right. But the conversation's still going and you're you know, mainly focused on Fisk and the conversation. But all the body language of Vanessa later you can tell she was beginning to to not feel well, you know, because she kind of brushed her hair out of her face, but the way she did it was more of a, I'm getting hot. Like, it just, just all the body language was fantastic, but when we don't see her with the first fall, we see somebody else with the fall, right? Like, you hear it, they they go away to that person, then you come back and see Vanessa, which was really well Mm -hmm. done.
0: So, after the formal event, we do return back to Matt's apartment where Foggy insists that Matt's going to get killed. Uh, Matt Retorts that he can take care of himself, but Foggy begins to question about himself and Karen should Matt ever get caught?
1: You know what? I, as we continue, I mean, I feel bad that uh, somewhat um, that we keep trying to rewrite these scripts. It, you know, because I, well, I <laughs> what else are podcasts yeah, for? no, like, but I, I really kind of expected Foggy. I mean, he is, Foggy found him on the floor, right? If Foggy doesn't show up, Matt probably bleeds out, right? Yep. And then he's admitted, you know, Claire, you know, because Foggy didn't even say this, but you could tell Foggy was a little upset. You told Claire, he's like, no, she found out. She pulled me out of a dumpster half dead. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, like Foggy could have had some kind of line or some kind of jab or something about, no, clearly like you're not taking care of yourself. I mean, look at you. You know, and she found you half dead already once.
0: I mean, (laughs) Matt's not doing a good job of defending his case. No,
1: he's not. And, but also it's that element of like building that tension and continuing on with that anger that Foggy has.
0: You know, we we hinted about it earlier, uh, but it's in this scene in particular where Foggy straight up accuses Matt of being like Fisk because Matt has gotten to the point where he says, you know, we live in a world that is that, you know, going by the law sometimes isn't enough. And it only adds to that that thought that we were having about how the Daredevil side has completely won. And it's, I don't know, it, it's sad to see that for somebody who's tried to, to hold off this notion that he's no better than the people he's fighting against, we, he's, he's not fighting anymore. Right.
1: Well, and it's interesting because like he says, no, I learned from that mistake. And, and Foggy points out, attempted murder is not a mistake. You know, uh, and, and two thoughts come to mind. A, if Matt was successful, right, like, like the idea, like the idea that you learn from that mistake, well, you weren't successful, you know, and so did you really learn from that mistake? Because it's not Mm -hmm. like you had the opportunity and stopped yourself. Uh, The other thing is, is I question Foggy's use of attempted murder because we saw how the fight went and in no, (laughs) and in no (laughs) point during that fight was Matt in a position to kill anyone.
0: Nope. Matt was almost a murderer <laughs> in the attempted murder.
1: Right. I mean, in fact, oh, we man. talked about it and kind of ruled lighting Nobu on fighter self-defense at yeah. that point.
0: <laughs> That's a good catch. I didn't pick up on that till just now. <laughs> so,
1: now, I get the intent was to murder, right? And he went to do it and there's the attempt, right? Mm-hmm. But still, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you never got the feeling that Fist life and let's be honest Nobu up until that point because as I mentioned last podcast Nobu was just dumb he could have ended it very quickly um, was Matt ever a threat to them?
0: Eventually the argument gets to the point where Foggy straight up leaves Matt and even though Matt pleads uh, Foggy is gone which leads us to another flashback where Foggy and Matt are drinking at Josie's bar uh, it's right after they made a decision to start their own practice and uh foggy begins to draw what will one day be the sign of the nelson and murdoch offices on a napkin
1: so what i liked about this scene was not only did i I mean there's there's so to me there's a lot going on here uh i liked how when they clinked glasses you know the the napkin got ruined and then we Mm -hmm. then we see foggy packing a box and throwing away the sign you know Um, And so you have like it was almost like this foreshadowing then that this wasn't going to work, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, what's interesting is, you know, at this point when they made that, you know, they're making this joke about, hey, this is a napkin, you know. But at this point, we know and I'm assuming Foggy knows that Daredevil Matt actually did know what the sign was just by feeling it. Because like one of his things is he can you know, simply put his finger and feel the ink you know, kind of like Braille. And so like, he, yeah. he knew the sign, you know, that for how you didn't know them, but he knows now, you know? And so that is an yeah. instance where, yeah, Matt played along.
0: And I mean, it almost kind of the way the, the drink kind of tarnishes the sign. It, it harkens back to that comment. And even though it wasn't exactly murder, it harkens back to the comment that father Latham had, that it would be an act so dark that it poisons the community. Well, the way that the napkin kind of gets tarnished by the liquid feels like a slow poisoning. And we see we see in particular that this this reunion scene of them starting their practice comes right after that night that Matt went and took on the sexual abuser. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time, I believe, where he he's openly lying to Foggy about where he got his injuries yeah. from. Yeah. So you just see from the very start of why this was so impactful to to Foggy, I just wish it wouldn't have come at the very end of the episode. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if this was intentional. Or a happy, you know, a little happy accident, but when the napkin got ruined, it didn't mess up Nelson's name. It was just like that bottom half of the Murdoch, you know. And to Mm -hmm. me, it was like clear of like Murdoch was the one that 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 ruined this and messed this up. But to the extent that they were, you know, you're able to get that just right, you know, I don't. That's why I don't know if it was intentional or not. But if it's if it's not, it worked really well.
0: That's a that's a really good catch and. You know, I wonder how much that, that was happenstance or how many times they filmed that scene to, just, just to get, to it, get it, right. it right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that takes us to the end of the episode. Do you have any overall thoughts for the episode as a whole? You know
1: what? I, I had mixed feelings about this, this episode. Cause it was in that sense, it was mm-hmm. a big roller coaster. Uh, clearly I did not like the Karen Ben interactions. Um, you know, I liked the majority of the Nelson and Murdoch exchanges I loved seeing all the flashbacks and getting the college stuff. you know, in some ways, I wish they would have capitalized on it more, like we've said, you know, so it, so it's clearly mm-hmm. mixed feelings on this episode.
0: I think that's about where I am as well. Uh, I did make uh, mention how the writer of this episode was the writer of the last episode I didn't like as well, but I I will say I do like this one a little bit more. And a lot of this, I think I could have forgiven. I think my big issue was the the feeling of it being marred a bit by mm-hmm. the origin of Daredevil mm-hmm. and the, the sexual abuse yeah. motivation. But like you said, I, I did enjoy the college scenes. I did in those flashbacks. Uh, I just wish it would have been a little bit more consistent overall. Right. Yep. But yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. But of course, we do have the question of the week. So without further ado, Jude, who would you say has the best costume in the MCU?
1: Look, I... I don't think this is any big secret. It, it, it's Spider-Man. Far, uh, oh, Wow, I was going to say far from home. I, I For me, now, I do like the black and red suit, uh, but mm-hmm. wow! But the blue and red, like, that's, that's Spider-Man to me. Um, as much as I like the, uh, what listeners we have, what I might lose with this one, as much as I like the Raimi suit, um, the MCU suit is just Spider-Man to me, you know? Uh, yes. It has that, the right blue and the right red, and the eyes are animated, you know, and, and so it's that one. Um, after that, to be honest, I think Ant Man comes into a close second.
0: Yeah, Ant Man's definitely got a really cool suit. Yeah,
1: especially when he, when you change over to uh, Civil War and it's a little bit more aerodynamic kind of in the helmet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what about you? What's yours?
0: Man, I. It's so funny how close you came to mine without it being there. And it's funny that we got there. I would say the black and red Spider-Man suit uh-huh. in Far From Home. Okay. I and it, and it's so funny because whenever the Spider-Man PS4 game came out, they let you get the red and blue which they called the Stark suit right. in the game and you get it fairly early yeah, on. But I, I remember when I was Yeah, I remember when I was streaming the game, I kept getting teased by the community because there were so many other suit designs, but I would not change it. Like I kept that suit because I liked yeah. it that much. And then when Far From Home came out, and we got that black suit, man, that just looked absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like I didn't realize how sleek that black mm-hmm. aspect to the suit. Oh was yeah, it,
1: it does look nice. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it I do like it. I do like it, and it and it calls back to the original suit. You know, mm-hmm. um. So like in the in in the comics, and you see this with Black Panther. You know, um, yeah. you it's depending on how they want to do the shadow and the highlight, you get kind of a blue color, right? Yeah. Um, and so I th- think that that's th- there was kind of some confusion a little bit on was his originally blue or black um, because of because of that and those highlights. And so I think this suit is actually a little bit more of a nod to the Steve Ditko. Um, mm-hmm. And even in the original design, he had the wings, you know, which yeah. I mean, we see the web wings in, in, in Homecoming, too. So it's not like it was just that suit.
0: I think runner up for me uh, would definitely be Captain Marvel in Endgame. Um, her suit, I, there's something about it that just looks really nice. And I think the only difference that I can tell from her solo movie in Endgame is they added the sash. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the sash that just really brings that suit together. Yeah. for Yeah.
1: It's like the rug. The rug really ties the room together. This, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's that's a that's a good suit. I'm honestly just surprised you didn't go with uh, a cap suit.
0: You know, I wanted to, but I knew I was like, okay, I can't just be the Captain America yeah. fanboy. Yeah. He's actually in third place. Okay, and it's the in uh, game with the scales. Okay, like okay. I, because I'm not, I'm not gonna make like I am. I want to buy a full on Captain America suit, like at some point, like that is. Almost fifty percent of the reason I'm trying to lose weight is because, like, I want to get a really nice Captain <laughs> nice. America suit. Nice. And for the for the longest time, I thought it was going to be the Civil War one, but the scales on the chess piece in Endgame just yeah. made it feel like what? next Wait. level. So that's the one I like. Okay, now. yeah, that
1: was in game where he had the scales. Okay.
0: What about you? Do you have any uh, more?
1: Let's see. If Ant Man second, you know what? I really like. I would have to say the Civil War Black Panther.
0: Yeah. You know and. I don't think they've topped it since. Yeah,
1: and I liked, I liked what they did with the nano with the nanotech, and and, and in the movie Black Panther. I liked what they did with the suit. Like I get it, you know, Shuri kind of made fun of him. Oh, it's fun. You know, put my helmet on where you can just think it on, and that was a really cool touch. Uh, but there was something really slick about that first one.
0: Yeah, felt more tactile.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good word for it.
0: But, uh, yeah, that's going to be our question of the week. So, if you'd like to chime in with what you think is the best suit in MCU or overall thoughts for episode 10 of Daredevil, you can reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter or Instagram or email us at MCU Need to Know at gmail.com.
1: And conversations are great with many people, so please share with a friend. And while you're listening, if you take a moment to go ahead and rate us and leave a review that would really help us out
0: and we also want to give a special thanks to nick sandy for the use of the theme song which is his rendition of the avengers theme and uh yeah thank you so much for doing this yeah thank you trey all right we'll see you all next week But anyway, uh, if you don't know what we're doing, we have been doing a rewatch of Daredevil on Netflix. We are currently on episode nine. Uh, this is something we've been doing in lieu of Black Widow's release, and it's been a lot of fun. It is. It is. So, so today we're going to be discussing season one, episode nine, entitled "Speak of the Devil." That's not right. Nope. I'm looking at the wrong. <laughs>
1: <note>. <laughs> in God tag. dang it! In tag. Yeah. <laughs> okay (laughs) see okay I I accidentally misnumbered one episode and now it's your turn okay